Welcome to the Oxley Bomb MotoGP podcast. everyone it's the oxley bomb MotoGP podcast uh first one of 2024 if you want to believe that i don't know it's uh, caught us by surprise i don't know about you that's me matt oxley old racer old journalist and peter bomb and peter bomb my we're already jumping over each other <laughs> and <Yeah>. my podcast <laughs> partner yes peter bomb of course data recording all the time many years in the paddock crew chief uh, part-time journalist at the moment and to the data recording expert yeah in between the podcasts always good to have you on peter and uh happy new year to everyone i just wanted to share it. We, we don't do a youtube channel yet but we are going to do one and then you'll be able to see what we're wearing and and, and just uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what Sam's wearing he's got a really nice hoodie I'm quite jealous on which just says decay in one big in, in one big word across the front of the hoodie so I really like that I think I'm going to buy one of those so that's 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 our guess I that's our prediction for 2024 is decay I suppose and and um how can we seeg into from decay into the new manufacturer's concession system i don't know but we'll try so that's what we're going to talk about today is the new manufacturer concession system because as you all know honda and yamaha have had a nightmare the last couple of years ducati are winning everything and dawn are like oh holy shit you know uh, uh, honda and yamaha are going to leave because they're getting their asses kicked all the time we, we need to give them a helping hand so that's what's happening that's what we're talking about is it going to help yamaha is it going to help honda is it going to hurt ducati but first of all a bit of history a bit of content text to sort of make you understand how we got to this point. So there's two things that happened that brought us on this road towards concessions. Both happened within two years of each other that plunged MotoGP into a financial crisis. The first was the banning of tobacco sponsorship from the start of the 2007 season. And the second was the global financial crisis of 2008. Now, those two things just crippled MotoGP financially. I mean, you know, MotoGP since the eight, late 80s had been completely reliant upon um, tobacco money. You know, the, the, the grid looked like a tobacco shop. Marlborough, Rothmans, Cabin, Camel, Chesterfield, Fortuna, Jitain, Gorwas, HB, Cool, Lucky Strike, L&M, MS, Parisian, Peter Jackson, West. I mean, you know, there was so much money sloshing around the paddock that you cannot believe how good the parties were back then. You know, these people were just throwing money at, at everyone, at riders, at teams, at journalists. You know, we got taken out for dinner. There were parties, there were discos. It was awesome, you know. But um, yeah, obviously not glad, not sad that it's gone. And then Im- immediately after that happened, the, the global financial economy you know, went, went into meltdown. So MotoGP suffered two huge hits to its income. Sponsors disappeared. Teams went broke. By 2011, at some races, there were only 14 bikes on the grid. So Dorna was like, holy shit, we've got to do something about this. So what did they do? They, and they needed to do something about it incredibly quickly to fill that grid. So they, they, they came up with this thing called CRT bikes, which is, I won't go into details because it's boring, but basically they were super bikes with... Um, Grand Prix chassis, i.e. a 1,000cc version of a Moto2 bike. Um, and so instead of having to buy a Moto2 bike for a couple of million quid, you could buy a, a CRT bike for 100k. You know, so, I mean, huge difference. Uh, two years later, they CRT bikes were replaced by open bikes, which ran under different rules to encourage poorer teams to 
get better results, blah, blah, blah. Finally, in 2015, Dorna introduced the first concessions rules, which, ironically, were designed to help Ducati catch up Honda and Yamaha. So a complete opposite of where we are now, which shows how effective the the rules were. So the the concessions changed everything because the next year, Ducati started winning, not just for that reason, but that was one of the reasons. And, and, you know, they've now achieved total domination of the class and putting Honda and Yamaha at the back. So that's enough history. Peter's going to quickly run us through the um, the four ranks. In so basically, Dorna have split the grid into four ranks, the factories into four ranks, and uh, A, B, C, and D. And I assume that D is for dunce, but I'm not sure. Tell us quickly about A, B, C, and D, Peter. Well, not too quickly. All right, there we go. I try not to, to make it too boring. Each manufacturer falls into one of the four categories, A, B, C, D. And where you are, obviously Ducati is in A. These are the best guys. They get a little bit punished. Then there is B, C, and D. Well, they do it in a way that every six months they see for where you are in manufacturer's uh, point standing over the last year. So <laughs> without making it uh, too confusing, they check your results for a year long, but they do that every six months. And that's every, every six months you can be shuffled into another group or not. At the moment, it's obviously Ducati and A because they, they got basically all the points all the time. They get punished a little bit. Group B, there is nobody. Mind that. Group C, these are Aprilia and KTM. And D are the real the real problem kids of the <laughs> of the class, Honda and Yamaha. For me, it's quite interesting to see there's actually nobody in Group B. That's- so they've been sitting at the back of classroom <laughs> smoking and looking out the window. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't pay, didn't pay really a lot of attention. <laughs> so there is not even a group B. Think about that. There's not even B. That's how far Ducati is ahead of everybody. And what they do, they play with stuff like how much tires you get. That's pretty important. You're only allowed to go testing with the Michelin. Or you only want to go as well. You're allowed and want to go with the Michelin official tires. And one of the restrictions is how many tires you get for your testing. And obviously Ducati gets a little bit less. That's actually the only downside they have. They don't they don't get punished for being too successful, which I love. They just get a few tires less. And Depending who you ask in the paddock, that's not a problem if I speak to Michelin or it's quite a problem if you speak to Dani Pedrosa because they complain they don't have enough tires. But I think they don't have enough soft tires is what they complain about. They can't practice time attacks, but that's a whole other story. Ducati stays where they are, they just get a few tires less. Then it's in C where the European manufacturers are, they get quite a lot more tires and that's basically it. They get just more tires. That's the most important thing for them, but that is a really important thing to do. The group D, that's the group I want to speak about the most because that's Honda and Yamaha. They are, <laughs> they get almost everything for free. They probably can even fit a turbo on it if they really want <laughs> because they can use more engines. The engine spec is completely free. It means you can turn up in Qatar at the first race with, uh, with an inline four, think, ah, oh, that doesn't work. Come to the next GP and bring a V4. Well, good luck with you. But you can, basically, according to the rules. They don't have to, to decide before which are our three official test tracks, like Ducati has to do and like Aprilia and, and KTM has to do. They can say, now nah, we, 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 we can go. They are free to go to every track they want to, which is quite interesting. And they can do more wildcards. They can do six wildcards. Ducati got punished, at tra- actually, before I forgot it, not only by having less tires, but also having zero wildcard show. Piro is not completely out of a job, but Piro will not be in one of the G- 
GPs, which is a, a bit of a special a special moment for them. You want to say something about that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, you, you say we, obviously that Ducati have no wild cards, but like we could also look at it from the other point of view is that compared to KTM, uh, they've got eight bytes. So compared to KTM, Aprilia and Honda, who've got four bytes, you know, they have, Ducati have four wild cards every bloody race, don't they? You know, and compared to Yamaha, they, anyway, have, they, yeah. have, they have six wild cards every race. But anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah. Well, well that's interesting because Yamaha and Honda can bring us just a lot of six wild cards, but they can bring wild cards with a completely different engine. So they, the Japanese group D, the, the really, really poor kids, they get everything more or less. And group C, which is the European manufacturers get more tires and they get six wild cards. Probably that's bad news for Dani Pedroza because he really doesn't want to do wild cards at all. He doesn't want to do maybe Ingres, maybe Misano under really perfect circumstances, but otherwise he doesn't really, really care for wild cards. But now, yes, he can still turn up at three more. Bad news for Dani. Well, on the other hand, there is Polis Bagro now. You know, do, do, uh, KTM have kind of obviously nerfed him out of the out of the Tech Three team, and they've kept him as a uh, a, a test a, a test rider. So I would imagine that um, Danny will probably say say. I mean, who knows? Danny might might do a, a one or two, but he might not. I think he must be getting to the point where. You know, I mean, what he did last year at Jerez and Mizano, he's probably never going to do better than that. So Hard to top it off, eh? So, I mean, he was nearly on the podium at Mizano with the new carbon frame, which was fucking incredible. I mean, unbelievably good. I mean, just just mind-blowing. But um, I, I would imagine that they'll have Bolas Bargro on, on it most of the time, maybe. Yeah, really good. Forgot about that one. But anyway, carry on. But it, it shows the failure because what Dani did at both events when he did this really, really good wildcard is one week before, sometimes even just six days before, testing the for two days in a row with a lot of tires. And then the time attack on Friday afternoon is not longer a big problem for him. So anyway, um, th- that's very effective. What I find interesting in this is a couple of things in this list. I-, I-, I give you guys a short summary. We don't go into the details too much. What I like personally a lot is that Group A, the Ducatis, are not getting punished. They just get a few tires less and no wildcards. But like Matt says, they have anyway lots of wildcards every race. So you don't handicap the guy that's really successful, does his homework well, works very hard, and so on and so on. But in Group C and D, especially Group D where the Japanese are, you, you get just a lot of freedom, but you don't get free lap time. You don't get uh, two seconds head start. You, <laughs> not at all. So you just... They are opening the doors to if you want to work more, if you invest more, you can do it. Certainly, they take out the handicaps, but they don't give you a false advantage. So that's basically what the whole concession system now, as it is now, is based upon. And I like that. Don't handicap the guy who did a really good job, but give the poor kids at the end of the class a little bit of... If you arrive two evenings in the week to my home, I give you some extra lesson. But you have to show your your potential and your willingness to get there. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. So uh, it's also, it's for the Japanese factor, there is nowhere to hide anymore. Because you and me, we said a couple of times that it looks more like a cultural problem, like a cultural business. The way the business is run, the way the decisions are made in, in Honda and Yamaha. That seems to be a bigger problem than an actual lack of know-how. But now there's really nowhere to hide. Now we open all the doors. And if you don't improve quickly, if you don't come up with completely different engines and different arrows and so on and go forward, then we we just have to conclude you don't want it badly enough. You don't fit in the in this race at the moment, which will be a disaster. But that's how things sometimes work. That, in a nutshell, is my first impression of when I look over the, the pros and cons from concession rules, Matt. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Peter. And just one other, one thing you did miss that the, the the Group D, i.e., Honda and Yamaha, they also get two aero updates during the year. So all the other factories can only have one upgrade during the year, which has been the norm since well, I don't know, 2018 or something like that, 2017, 2018. But Honda and Yamaha, who, as we know, are both a long way behind in the aero war, that they get two updates. So that's you know, as Peter says, they're being given everything they need. Yeah, thanks for reminding me. That's that's really cool because it also means that everybody realizes that if you find some extra horsepower, if you have a better engine, then you need other aero as well. So you can give, give people a free engine spec like you have in Group D, but that you can't make the best of it if you cannot adjust your aero to, to that same engine spec. So yeah, they really open all the doors, Matt. It's completely there. They just, just need to start to work really hard. But there is a lot of options now that were not there the years before. So not a lot of excuses left. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, by going testing more, you know, we've talked about this a bit already, how, how important data is now, not just for the normal way of data recording, but for, for um, building computer models and using computer simulations, which is becoming more and more and more and more important. And, you know, Honda and Yamaha have a lot, as far as I can tell, uh, having spoken to a couple of engineers, one en- uh, from, from those factories, just from what they say, uh, compared to what Ducati tell me, I think, wow, these guys are quite a way behind Ducati. I mean, I know Ducati have this special software that allows them to, that is between 5,000 and 10,000 times faster than CFD, which is computer computational flow dynamics, which is how most people, you know, work test aero and so on before testing it on the track you you test it on a computer but the software out now that ducati are using very very special software does the same calculations with 99.3 percent accuracy between five and ten thousand times faster which means you can do six months work in a few hours you know you you can you can make the same progress that someone else will in six months in a few hours i mean wow that that is (laughs) I mean, how, how, so you can actually learn things in race weekends and Ducati don't just use this for development. They use it during race weekends so they can find out in, in seconds or in minutes what would take Honda or Yamaha days, you know, so that's a huge thing over a race weekend. Peter? Yeah, it's a really good example, Matt, of, you know, in the end, a computer, if you don't put in the good information, you can ask what you want, you don't get the good answer. So... Ducati is clever enough, first of all, by realizing what the fuck do we need to look for first and what second and what third and how quickly. When you have a lot of good questions, you find the limits of your computer and you start to look for better programs. And yeah, living in Bologna, you don't need to go very far to find people and companies that have, you know, it's a motorsport valley around there. So there's they are there. And obviously they cost money, but so far, I don't think the money has been a problem. Not at Honda, who built aeroplanes and not at Ducati. It's just, do you have enough people that ask the right questions? And if you have them and they come to your desk later the day, they say, yeah, we have a lot of, I think, good questions, but my computer is just too slow. Okay, we buy another computer program. It starts by asking the right question. Ducati obviously is asking a lot of the right questions at the moment. And yeah, then for sure, you start looking for the software that helps you to to, to use that. What I think is going to happen with the testing, Matt, is that, for example, KTM and Aprilia, they have 50 more tires now to do and they have three more wildcards compared to last year. What I expect them to do is choose their test tracks very carefully and make them other tracks as where you do your wildcards. That means you have a total of six tracks where you can go testing and you have got enough tires. And if you are alone, more or less the only manufacturer, or you do it together, Honda and Yamaha, because <laughs> you know it, it creates a bond being in the back of the class. So if you stay in the paddock and do the Monday, then you're not there with 20 riders on it. So you don't put down a lot of rubber so quickly, which is like making your data dirty, that you, you always arrive with a very good bike on the end of Monday because you're riding on your own Michelin rubber all the time. 
time you go just faster, faster. With just one or maximum two manufacturers on it, you don't get that. So I expect them to be, they will be thinking very, very deep and a lot quicker and faster and more clever than me. But then we look in areas like that where we choose our official test track, the trees that we have, where we do our wildcard to make the best benefit of, of what we have. Well, I, I hope they're that clever. Maybe they're not as clever as you, Peter. Maybe, <laughs> maybe yeah, they're not um, thinking like this. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, hopefully they, but that's really interesting what you say that, that you know, staying at a track on the Monday, you know, and just being on your own, you're not going to have that kind of distorted view by having all that rubber down and all that grit, you know, just by having two bites or four bites running around, it's not going to be as bad. That's that's a really good point. Uh, I just, if we just run through the tire numbers quickly, Ducati get 170 tires. This is for the whole manufacturer, everybody on Ducatis. They get 170 test tires to use during testing during the year. Um, the Group B, and there's no one in Group B, which shows how far Ducati are ahead, get 190 tires. Uh, group C, which is KTM and Aprilia, get 220 tires, so 50 more tires than um, than Ducati. And then the Dunces, sorry, I'm being mean. <laughs> um, Honda and Yamaha get get 260 tires, which is uh, 70 tires more than Honda, uh, Ducati and 40 tires more than Aprilia and KTM. So a significant difference, you know. I mean, the other thing is, you know, they're obviously allowed to use their full-time riders as well, Honda and Yamaha. None of the other people are. They can only use their test riders. Honda and Yamaha can use their full-time riders. So Luca Marini, uh, Joan Mir, uh, Takaki Nakagami, Johan Zarco, Fabio Quattararo and Franco Morbidelli. So these, these six riders are going to have a very, very busy 2024. Not only have they got more weekends and race weekends than ever before, 22, more races than ever, any, ever before, 44, if my maths is right. They can also go testing pretty much as, as much as they like. So, oh my God, I think they're going to be pretty tired by, by the end of the year. I mean, how they're going to manage that, you know, as well as with injuries and everything, you know, they're going to be staying, they're, they're going to be absolutely done for by the end of the year. I mean, you think at Sepang, they've got six days. Honda and Yamaha have got six, their riders, their full-time riders, Mir, all of those guys, uh, Marini, Quadraro, etc. They've got six days at, at Sepang, whereas everybody else has got three. I mean, how, how do you think that'll work, Peter? They've got six days at, at Sepang. I mean, you've you've been there, you've been testing with teams and so on. I mean, y- you can go testing too much, can't you? And, and you know, how much you, more use is six days than three? Is it twice as useful? Or are they going to be getting tired? Are they going to be getting bored? Are they going to be getting pissed off? What do you reckon? Well, it is, it is a big challenge to... To, to keep it useful. You need to be very, very professional as a rider. Your attitude has to be really, really on. You have to focus all the time. It's six days. The team has to be really well prepared because there's nothing more demotivating than sending out a rider with half a turn of preload, ask him to do five laps, and then, you know, 0.1 difference in the spring rate, ask him to do six. These are very small differences. and It's very, very boring. So make a test plan that has emphasis on the right moment of the day because you save six uh, days in uh, in Sepang, but that's true. But over the day, the quality of the track changes also a lot. If you want to do a time attack, it has to be almost your very first run in the morning, nine o'clock enter the pit lane screen put in a soft tire have your lap time so make sure you're on top of the screen and then start testing you know it's weird but it also means that there is a lot of possibilities and options to test different things you want to do a long run you do it on the conditions that you have the race you want to do a time attack or you want to try something really weird you do it on other moments you can also divide the track with the team and with the rider into parts that you're at the moment focusing on the good thing from Sepang is it has everything it's a long wide track and you don't get a you no no it has everything 
but it also means if you have just a very fast engine it doesn't handle very well you can do the same lap time as the other way around so you can do the lap time in two ways but everybody has been there so much we know where to focus on you can even do literally half a lap you can come back after turn six and be, ex be back in the pit line and do another restart or do whatever you want in the end it comes down to being professional having a plan keeping everybody on the tools but fuck it's hard but on the other hand i've been to in the good old days when we did yamaha factory super spot we went to philip island just for testing unbelievable only the superbike yamaha team with ben spies and we went there with the super sport team just for just we fly from europe to philip island just so you're away for six days for three days of testing and we had a rider who's the type of rider very emotional didn't got up to speed at all at some moment we're throwing in qualifiers to do a reasonable lap time so there was no point going in with him there so that's what i said you have to be really professional on the ball otherwise you learn nothing now it's easy to learn actually nothing in philip island because it's such an odd track there was a lot of reasons why we should not have gone there actually thinking about it tom sykes was there as well as a rookie on the yamaha world superbike he crashed three times in the first day he tried to do three crashes in the second day but after the second mary gallis said no 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 you <laughs> you go back to the bungalow better you i mean this is winter testing before the season started and he already killed five complete bikes because usually crashes in philip island are quite expensive but i'm drifting away from the point of it <laughs> no it's great but going testing is by now everybody has a really good idea what they want and which parts they do if you do a certain part of aero testing that should improve long-lasting corners and, and you don't expect it to have everything and any other influence on other some moment you just divide the track either on data or in reality because you can do half the track in sepang you can also divide it by helping the rider by saying we concentrate on corner five eight and nine and the rest you just do on autopilot if you do that with a rider you still get good data and you don't make him too tired because you have to be the thing with testing is the rider has to go fast enough to feel the difference and make the difference visible in the data, but not that fast that you cannot repeat it every lap in the same way because you do the lap only on adrenaline on adrenaline, and you will crash anyway. There's a fine line in between. If you go on 80%, that's too slow. Then, then you don't see the difference. You don't enjoy the difference that, that the bike is giving you or you even worse. You can create a bike that's very, very nice for 80%, but doesn't work when you go to 95% when everybody's on the grid. So yeah, it, it's quite a thing. Good thing is you guys have lots of tires. I can imagine actually a race weekend where whatever it is with ktm for example that that dani pedrosa polas pagaro is there all weekend on this on the on this uh, helping the riders as a rider coach seeing how, how everything goes on in the box how the race result is and then on monday they have so much information already they do the first test and when they find something they ask the real rider that was on sunday in the race also to do a couple of laps so you don't use your real rider too much you keep him on his tools because usually on sunday if you were not on the top of the box you would love to see an, an improvement and usually on sunday when you go home you have a lot of ideas that you want to do for the next race but you think yeah the next race is a completely different track but if we had one more day i would really like to try a different combination of settings now you have it you send the test rider out first with it and then only one or two times you send your real rider out with it as well so you validate it and you keep everybody happy that that's one of the things i i could see happening here like carl goes out immediately on the yamaha and when they found some find something then quattro puts on his, his letters as well and does just maybe he goes out four times for five laps but he leaves then the track with a, with a very different feeling and a lot more information that that's what i think can happen matt yeah so they've really got to kind of look after their full-time riders and and save them and, and not exhaust them not only physically but also mentally and, and also kind of emotionally as well really you don't i mean i can remember um, Mick Doohan who was you know I loved Doohan he was just such an animal just fantastic and sort of got to know him 
kind of reasonably well over his kind of 10 years on the grid. I used to work with him and he was great when he went testing. You know, you didn't want to ask Mick to do anything that he didn't want to do. And, you know, once if he was gone testing with Honda, because there was no restrictions in those days, so they could go testing as much as they wanted. And um, which didn't please him very much because he didn't really enjoy it. Uh, he just wanted to kill people. That's what Mick wanted to do. He didn't want to ride around in circles testing stuff. So he, he, he would he would kind of test sort of an hour or two in the morning and then Honda would say, oh, do this and do that. And he was like, nah, I don't want to do that and just get out of his leathers, jump in his heart car and fuck off to the airport <laughs> can you believe that <laughs> leaving all the hrc people going leaving all the hrc people going like oh what <laughs> he said like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ride around burning gas i know that doesn't work i, I don't want that and so i'm going home see ya bye and i won the last five races so don't tell me what to do and um you know that's what you can get away with if, you, if you're that good exactly if um, you're that good and, yep just talking about sepang again just talking about sepang again i mean sort of speaking to engineers and technicians over the years you know at the beginning of this first you know the first breeze and season test all the riders are a bit rusty and you know the track it's very hot and humid there so the bikes are a bit lazy there's you know it's all a bit slippery and so you know there's a kind of strange combination you can fall into there you know it doesn't everything is so specific now that what you learn i mean this is kind of obvious what you learn at sepang won't obviously help you in other places and then by the end of the season a lot of engineers and mechanics tell me you know when they go testing at valencia at the end of the year the riders are completely done for you know they've just had it they just want to go home you know they've done they've been around the world they've been you know now more than ever so and it's not just the riders either it's the mechanics and and, and the crews you know how are they going to cope with this extra workload when already last year the workload was worse than it's ever been to the point where you know the riders mechanics are in a fucking mess i mean i spoke to one over christmas and he said i'm just starting to feel normal at christmas time so he'd been at home for a month just trying to get over especially that run of six races over seven weekends over four continents it took him taken him a month to start feeling normal again you know so these people are being pushed to the limit and now we're asking the honda and yamaha crews to go even further so yeah i'm i'm, I'm glad I, i'm not a mechanic at honda and yamaha I really am. <laughs> no, no, no. I'd be a bloody bad mechanic, but uh, I'm a fucking useless mechanic. It is, it is, Matt. And, and to come back to what I said earlier, you only, I think the best way to deal with the situation is not just saying, we go in three days testing in Sepang, because then they see only oh, three days Sepang. You know, you have to divide it in parts, tell the importance of what we're going to test and tell them how you're going to test it. So make them part of your plan. Yeah, some riders respond very positive to that. That's why they become very, very, very good test riders. The thing with riders is you want them to be a little bit more involved than normally in the technology but if they want to understand too much they can also easily confuse themselves and then have already an idea before they leave the pit lane because the last time you gave me a harder front spring i crashed so i don't want to have a harder front spring you can tell me that you lower the bike and open the compression damping i don't care i don't even know what that is hard time means crash so i don't go out and push very very well so some riders you want to involve in the game these are the really good test riders i think Crutzlow is one of them but i heard <laughs> very recently from actually a quite good rider he was asked he was asking when they came the start of a two days test somewhere and he said okay what we're going to test today well we have this and this and this so why we test this yeah because we think it's better ah you think so you're not sure no no that's why we test ah I'll give it to somebody else i only jump on it when it's good <laughs> yeah so that that really doesn't make sense if you have that kind of conversation with your rider that only want to test something that's better hmm, we need to we need to have another meeting maybe before we go but usually 
these these same type of guys they are there on sunday they give you the points so choose your test rider very wisely and don't destroy your race rider for sunday yeah yeah i mean just goes to thanks i mean it really goes to show what a kind of fine line these these factories are going to have to to um to, to run this season with the testing and I, I mean what i hear from ducati you know and maybe the other manufacturers will have to go like this as well you know basically they say you know the engineers say you're trying this you're using this it's better it may not even feel better but it says on the data that it's better and the lap time will be for all the race time because lap times actually don't matter it's the race time that matters you know um as one engineer told me racing is all about reducing the race time consistency yep. yeah you know and and, and you go oh, that's it that's actually motorsport in in a, in, a, in a sentence isn't it it's about reducing the race time that's all you're trying to do uh, it's as, it's as simple as that which obviously isn't very simple but ducati basically say yep we're do- using this because it's all our simulations have said it's going to be better and even if it doesn't feel right you just got to ride with it and and you'll be faster over a race distance maybe by one second or a half a second or whatever but their, their simulations will have told them it's right and and they're like you're using that and i think they're very hard on their riders that way you know they just tell them this is the way it is the engineers kind of lead the way more than the riders and may, maybe and, and with the aero it's kind of going that way yeah i think so um we're kind of pretty much done except for except for not that fast <laughs> oh no aren't you okay <laughs> we need well, to uh, what else do you want to say well, Peter? before we started the pot we said something uh, that how ironic it was that ducati now is is creating a situation where we have to give other people uh concessions but you, you know there's a little bit of history there how we how we ended up the first time i heard about yeah, the this is what i wanted how <laughs> you were going to go there yeah yeah i, I was just going to say actually that um the first year that I've just been kind of going through the regulations books, obviously, because that's a really exciting thing to do. And looked in, so I searched concessions in the uh, 2015 rules rule book, and and this, the the word concession is used six times in the whole rule book. In in last year's rule book, the 2023 rule book, it's used 57 times. So that gives you an idea of how important concessions have come. And and I think what we're moving on to is what did Ducati give away to make them sign the bit of paper to give all this stuff to Honda and Yamaha, and also a little bit of stuff to Katie. What do you what do you think? What do you think, Peter? Are you suggesting there's wheeling and dealing going on? What 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 did they give up in the wheeling and dealing? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I, I mean, we we we've said it before. We want we want there to be a camera in the MSMA meetings, don't we? That would be hilarious watching oh, yes. all the Fly on factory the bosses shouting at each other and banging the table and looking at each other with dagger eyes and all that kind of stuff. I'd love to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think, Peter? Well, <laughs> nothing's for free. So so something has to be given back to but ducati is not penalized too much so they couldn't ask for too much and they already got everything they got the most important thing they got the most bikes on the grid which is has turned out proven by ducati themselves this is a huge advantage but i'm really really worried because the same times the same moment that these decisions have been made they were speaking as well maybe uh, maybe one hour later about the new regulations so if ducati has been they will feel penalized they will feel penalized a lot and they will complain they did complain about it obviously you do even if you're really really happy with the result you still should complain but they have been given something in order to agree with this because it's an unanimous agreement so they agreed with it i'm really worried what they got for that if they got something and what they got for it this can this can be anything within the new rules that was on the table and is now from the table because Ducati didn't like it these sort of things 
can happen. I can think of one or two. Maybe you start first, Matt. No, I just wanted to just make people know that the new the new rules every five years the technical rules are allowed to be changed, and the new rules come in in twenty seven twenty twenty seven. So we got twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. So yeah, I mean, I don't know what what do you think that they might have got for twenty twenty seven to to sign that bit of paper to give Honda and Yamaha and also. KTM and Aprilia are a bit of an advantage well, over them. Simply look at how where they excel. They excel in engine power, they excel in aero, and they excel in right-high devices. The right-high devices have been already a bit castrated. They went too far with the front fork right-high device that was also adjusted on the fly. Okay, you lose that. The spontaneously, what now comes up spontaneously with me is uh, engine displacement. Uh, there was there was is talk about going to smaller engines. I think with smaller engines, Ducati loses a smaller capacity, like 800cc instead of 1000. They will lose some of the benefits because now with bigger engines you always need bigger valves bigger valves are harder to close in time unless you have a desmodromic system which closes them always in time allows an aggressive camshaft profile and gives you less resistance means less uh, heat and so on and so on so it's a complete circle of of improvements once you have desmo system on your bike which ducati has in the MotoGP. on lower engines that advantage becomes a little bit smaller so that's one of the things plus the arrow that i immediately think of that that they want to say okay we help Yamaha and Ducati, but stay away from this and this and this for 2007. Some, something like that. It's wheeling and dealing. It, it always is. It always was. But the, the nicest thing is also looking back how Ducati found out that when Casey Stoner left, the bike was not as good as they were thinking. Uh, and they got help to make it competitive. And they were so smart at that time. I, I, maybe you know the story better than me. But from what I remember, with these like concession bikes as they had at the moment, they, they made the second uh, classification of bikes that were supposed to be this was a rule made for satellite teams to help satellite teams that have older bikes or can do less with the electronics so if you were a satellite team you have more open electronics and so on and so on and then Ducati said oh thank you our factory team will be a satellite team next year yeah <laughs> and, and then went, no 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 that, that that's not all you mean and they they, they backpedaled in two weeks changed the rules again i mean speaking of wheeling and dealing eh? there's a lot there has been a lot going on and yeah that's how ducati got there yeah that was that was hilarious i mean that was ducati just scored an open goal there didn't they oh. um, <laughs> I mean, I think it was 2014 or was it 2015? But yeah, they basically Dorna said, oh, the, 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 the privateer, the satellite teams, independent teams, whatever you want to call them, can have um, better electronics and this, that and the other. And, and, and uh, so, so Ducati just ent- entered its um, factory team as an open team and just took the better in electronics. It was just so funny. And like you say, Dorna were like, oh, hang on, we didn't mean it like that and kind of um, backpedaled. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> and they were allowed legally to backpedal in two weeks. Unbelievable. Um- yeah, and, and and that's that's just Ducati. They they just see gaps in the rules that other people don't see. And um, you know, that's is that Gigi? Yes, it is Gigi Delinia. Is it other people? You know, uh, I, I know in Formula One teams have people that all they do is is look through the rule book to find holes. Dedicated, dedicated looking for loopholes. So. Um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, well, and we're already down that road with MotoGP. Uh, love it or loathe it. That's just the way it is. All right, everyone, I think we've wrapped that up. Have we, Peter? 
Is that done? Are we done? One quote I want to to read out loud from Pete Bayer. He used the 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 possibility when a journalist asked him about the concessions rules. He used it very very cleverly to do the two things, but basically make make a very good uh, advertisement for KTM because he said something on the lines like, "Now Honda is so poor, we need to help Honda." He said, "Yeah, but if you spend years, you know, paying over 20 million a year for your rider and then don't have enough money for your development, don't come to me crying." You know, that's <laughs> maybe it was a one-two with the, with the journalist himself. I don't know. But I loved it. I loved it. It, it was sharp enough eh, for a for a manufacturer to say something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can just imagine him saying the same in the MSMA meetings. Oh, you know, <laughs> with a lot of absolute, yeah. Like yeah. I say, I'd pay good money to to yeah. I'd pay good money to see that stuff. I really would. Just the highlights. I wouldn't want to sit there for eight hours watching a meeting. All right, everyone. I think we are done now. Thanks very much to, for listening. First part of the new year. So happy new year to you all. And we'll be back next week with um we haven't even thought about what we're going to talk about next week but we'll think of something don't you worry we might even get another guest on who knows all right everyone many thanks for listening thanks to peter for being here thanks to sam our producer for being here thanks everybody thanks a lot bye bye